Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. We started this podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff to read, but we're all very, very, very busy. Every week on the Sendcast, I have a different guest that has come on to talk about a topic they are passionate about. And this week we're discussing how schools can use visual resources to support transition. My guest this week is Sarah Billingham. Sarah is a specialist teacher who supports children's communication needs. Before we get started, I would like to remind you about B Squared. Over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment products are used in over 15,000 schools around the world to help show small steps of progress with around 1,500 using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our evidence system, Eversense, helps schools capture and share the achievements their pupils are making. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started a couple of years ago with a virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. If you'd like to find out more about B Squared and how we can help your school, go to our website, which is www.bsquared.co.uk. There is lots of information available. Or you can book a meeting with me using the meeting link in the show notes and I will take you through everything you want to know. Now, let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing how schools can use visual resources to support transition. Joining me this week again is my guest, Sarah Billingham. Sarah has been working with children with speech and language needs for over 16 years in mainstream and specialist settings. She is a specialist teacher who supports children's communication needs and supports parents to navigate the various SEN systems. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi, Dale. Great to see you. So I have discussed on a previous podcast, which I found absolutely fascinating, certainty, desperately Mm -hmm. seeking certainty. It was called with Dr. Jamie Galpin and Claire Ward. And... It's realizing actually we all like and love and seek out things that are certain and predictable. And transition is definitely not one of those times. I would totally agree with that. I think throughout this podcast, I'm going to land up talking about two key principles that support us at times of transition. The first is connection. So the connection to the people that we spend time with, the places that we go to. And the second is predictability. That knowing what's coming next, who's going to be there, what it's going to look like, how it might feel, all of those things are really important to us. And of course, at the point of transition, we lose a bit of the connection because things are different, people are different, places are different, and we lose the predictability. The routine is different to what it was before. And um, one of the things I just, I don't think, I think I did, we talked about transition before in this podcast, is the benefit of being a younger sibling when it comes to transitioning because your eldest sibling is going to literally go to a world they've got no experience of unless they've got an older cousin who lives nearby they're going into a world and they're literally was it the uh was it big one step for man one giant step for mankind going to secondary school type feeling stepping off into that playground and going whereas that second child immediately knows their older sibling is still alive seems quite happy they've talked about all the fun things or not so fun things they've talked about the teachers we may have even been up to the secondary school to pick them up and it's amazing i think that second child doing nothing else just but that they feel a lot of time will feel happier going to secondary school you you see it at nurseries your first child you're crying at the door they're being dragged off you. Their fingers are being, it's like a horror movie. Their fingers are being picked off the door and they suddenly disappear into this nursery and you're left there going, oh. second child, bye. And they're gone. <laughs> and your child just walks in going, bye, and gone. And all this, you're crying, why is everyone else crying? Why? And they're going, well, why is my child crying? It's like, because they've been here so often picking up their brother and sister. They know exactly what's going on. They see all the children coming out again happy. There's no fear. Well, they already know it's safe because they're hearing all those messages about being it being safe already. And yeah. part of what connection and predictability do is they help us to feel safe and secure. And it's from that place of safety and security, that kind of anchoring, if you like, that you have the confidence to take the risk to step into something that you don't know because you already feel safe and secure in doing that. Definitely. 
So we're talking about visual resources. So let's start off with a visual. What is a visual resource? So a visual resource is essentially anything that is a visual representation of, in this case, something that the child is going to experience. So that could be a wide range of things. And the simplicity or you know, how complex that looks is really needs to be well matched to the child. So we need to think about their language level, how much information they can process when we're picking the particular resource that we're going to, to use. But the visuals could be photos of the people that they're going to meet in this new class or new school. So teachers, teaching assistants, peers. It could be photos of the environment. It could be video tours. Uh, you mentioned uh, before we popped on people who'd made great video tours as during COVID because people couldn't visit face to face. Hang on to those videos. Use those videos. Yes, use those videos. It could be a video introduction from a teacher just introducing themselves. It could be a visual calendar of what the first week of school is going to look like. You know, where, you know when swimming is going to happen, when PE is going to happen. It could be as some, something as simple as a now next board. You know, now we're doing this and then we're going to do that. Those visual tools can take all sorts of forms. But what's important is that we are essentially representing something visual rather than just relying on our spoken language to tell children about things that are coming up. And I think we totally overlook how much we are actually reliant on these sorts of tools ourselves. Is that all? (laughs) Yes. You know, we are so reliant on, I still live in a paper diary world. I'm very reliant on my paper diary. Dale, the IT guy's shaking his head at me. Why would you be living in a paper diary world, Sarah? Love a paper diary. But we're very reliant on whether it's the diary on our phone, reminders we set on our phone, to-do lists, shopping lists anything like that. We're very reliant on those things. We're reliant on maps to look at. We are really reliant on these tools that let us know what's coming up. And yet sometimes for our children, we sort of totally forget that. We think either we don't need to tell them what's coming up and we just expect them to roll with it, or we tell them what's coming up, but we only do that orally and then we're expecting them to remember it. But also, I think as adults, When did you start using a diary? Was it age four? Was it age five? Oh, no, probably late primary school. Late primary school. Most people don't do diaries anymore. But a lot of teachers live their life with a paper diary and a notebook and to-do lists and shopping lists. Why did you do that? Because when you went shopping, you forgot things. So it's, it's skills you've learned as an adult that you do yet somehow you're just going to throw these, which you've learned through trial and error, yet we're going to throw these things at children and expect them to have the same understanding of the importance of. We expect them to be able to use it in exactly the same way we do. I find that always quite interesting. Yeah, I think that's where a staged approach is really important. And I think, uh, for me personally, this is often where visual timetables fall down because we'll see the same visual timetable used in a reception class and in a year six class. And actually, those visual timetables should look vastly different. The visual timetable for the reception class should be much simpler. The activity should probably be broken down. So having something that says, for example, science as a subject is almost meaningless to a child who first starts reception. They don't know what that lesson is going to look like. Or even maths. Maths is like a title of a subject, meaningless. Whereas having a label like counting or shapes would be a much more meaningful label for that particular activity. Um, And if we think of our year six children, we should be preparing them for going into secondary school where they're going to be following a planner that's possibly on a two-week cycle and is much more complex. And yet often with our year six children, we're using the same one-day visual timetable. We're not showing them a visual timetable that represents two or three days or even a whole week so that you're starting to get those concepts of, you know, these are the things that happened yesterday or last week, Thursday, we had PE. So I can easily predict that Thursday next week we're going to have PE. Those sorts of things should be happening, but yet we tend to um, do a one-size-fits-all in terms of what those visuals look like rather than graduating them to develop skills over time. Definitely. And one thing my, uh, my daughter's secondary school did, which was really good, is, and I think they brought it in, it was around COVID, they brought in the Sims Parent app, and there are probably other apps available. Um, but the Sims Parent app is I can go in and I pick on a child, and I can pick today, tomorrow, next seven days, and it will show me the lessons. 
So what's great about that is I can sit there and go, right, tomorrow you've got this, 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 what do you need? And we can, they can look at it and we can discuss it. And it's great because I don't have to do anything. They don't have to do anything. It's nice, simple and visual. I can do it on an iPad. I can do it on a phone. But it is there in front of us. And again, it's uh, rather than me going asking and just saying these words, we've got a visual prompt and a schedule. Yeah. And that visual is helpful in a couple of ways. Firstly, it reduces the memory load. So they're not having to remember a whole week's worth because they know they've got that visual resource to go back to. So they have that prompt that they can return to to help them to remember. And it also reduces the language load. So when you're looking at something that is picture-based or symbol-based, it is easier to interpret that information without having a heavy amount of language used. And that's particularly important when it comes to transition because we use a lot of time concepts. So we're talking about things like next week or after that or at the end of the day, which linguistically are more difficult concepts to understand. Whereas when you can see it on a piece of paper, you can see the sequence of events, whether you're actually picking up the words after that or you can just see that the pictures after that, you know, you're reducing the amount of language that's having to be interpreted in that moment. And also, I think it's things like when uh, my daughter has cooking and she's got cooking ingredients and you go, hang on, that's the third lesson. So, yeah, it'll be fine. Right, so you're going to take this to your English lesson, then to RE, and then she literally goes, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. And it's kind of, because it's there in front of us, we can sit there and she realises she'll have to hold on to it till that point. So like, well, I don't want to do that. I'll, and it just helps her think about um, ordering, preparing. That actually, I need to go in a little bit earlier because I need to go take this to food so I can get rid of it, and then I'll go back and it'll be there for a minute. So, yeah, I, I, we found that that really helps, especially with this whole A, B, A and B week stuff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We didn't have that when I was at school. We had one week, and I, and I memorized it after a month, mm. most years, because it was just, it was the same every Tuesday. It was, we did this. Now it's like, which is A, B, A or B week. It's just really hard to try and remember something which isn't the same every week. Yeah. But also that example that you've just given about talking through with your daughter what she needs for the cooking lesson. I think that's a great example of why it's important to sit down and almost prepare the visual together. So rather than giving somebody something that's pre-made, you know, all beautifully laid out, that might look amazing, but the opportunity to learn from it is reduced. Whereas when you do it with your child, um, I, uh, when my daughter's, my eldest daughter started school, we used a weekly planner um, and um, I would draw out things that were happening on that, you know, on Monday, on Tuesday. And initially we just did a couple of days at a time and then we built up to her being able to look at the whole week. But because I drew the pictures with her, she firstly knew what the pictures meant. So I wasn't drawing something and just assuming she would know that my picture of her trampolining lesson was trampolining. (laughs) Um, But, you know, she knew what the pictures meant, but also she was watching me build it up. And there was that opportunity for the conversation about, oh, well, what will we need for that? And yeah. to have the extra, you know, kind of chatting around the topic. It's very important, I think, to do it together with the child. Keep it nice and simple. You don't need every tiny bit of detail. You just need some quick reference points. And then repetition is really important. So not just doing it once, but going back to it, maybe, you know, before you go to bed in the evening, looking ahead to the next day, looking at it at breakfast in the morning. Lots and lots of repetition is when we learn what that predictable pattern is going to look like. Um, and I think, uh, to give an example from from kind of our own lives, if we're going to something like a conference, because it's outside of what we normally do for work every day, we want all the detail. We want to know how are we going to get there? What time do we need to be there? Is food provided? Uh, Where am I going to sit? Do I know somebody who's going? Can I sit with that person? Uh, Is the coffee good there? You know, there's all sorts of detail we want to know. And some of us will want more detail than others. We, we did a, um, a company meal out at a restaurant. Like, where's the restaurant? It's here. It's really nice. It was a lovely meal. They go, where's the car park? It's heavy. How do I get from the car park to there? And it was like going, just, just find the car park. We're going, whereas I've been to this town a few times. Other people haven't. And most of the conversation was not about the restaurant. It was, where do I drive? Where do I come in? Where do I park? How do I get from my car to the restaurant? That was the anxiety. Yeah. And, I and think- it was... We're all grown adults and we're just watching everyone going, we're all a bit more anxious than we realise. Totally. So every time we're doing something new or a little bit different or we haven't done it for a while, these are the sorts of questions that come 
come up for us. And we naturally feel nervous about those situations. Uh, one of the questions I always ask is, I want to know what, the, what people are going to wear, <laughs> which actually isn't important. But I feel more comfortable if I feel I'm dressed appropriately for the occasion and I'm not horribly overdressed or horribly underdressed. That, and I wouldn't call myself a fashionista at all, but that's obviously something that matters to me in terms of my comfort level. Am I, am I going to feel like I fit in because I'm wearing the right clothes? <laughs> am I going to be unnoticeable? That's what I want to achieve. <laughs> totally. Um, so what happens for us is because we know those are things we're nervous about, we know to ask those questions. But often yes. for our children, they feel nervous, but they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> so yes. we are to some extent having to predict that for them. But when you're putting your visual resource together, that may be when some of those questions emerge. Um, and when we start to realize what's important for our particular child, because someone who's putting a conference together probably isn't going to put on there what the dress code is for someone like me. <laughs> no, but I, I do find that interesting because when we do things, we generally, we might not be able to put a, a oh, I'm this or that. You're literally going, right, I need to know about, I need to coffee. I'm driving now. I need to, so you, you know what questions you want answering and you're going to have a conversation with someone somewhere else on the same language and it's like what type of learner are you i'm a kinesthetic learner you know what kinesthetic means you've learned it you're having a conversation we all understand the language you're going to say to a child oh so um, we need to get you a blazer is that like a laser <laughs> <laughs> with a b on it what's a blazer what is a blade what does that mean a blazer and, and we just assume because if you've got photos of the uniform, you've got those specific reference points as you're introducing the language. But what is a blazer? Is it, oh, you wear it in, no, you wear it all day. But I've always worn a jumper, but now you're going to wear a blazer. But do I wear a jumper as well? Well, that's up to you. Well, what are the rules? What's everyone else doing? And that's a whole level of anxiety. Is um, It's like that anxiety when it's a, uh, when you're a child. And I think we still have these flashbacks where it's a non-uniform day or you think it is and you're making your way to school and you just want to see one other child, not in uniform. And then you're anxious. Oh, oh it is, I'm not going to be literally standing out in my own clothes because I completely got, it. it's just certain things you just want to see. But I think there's probably a load of uncertainty. So we're talking about lessons and we generally probably jump to the structured things like lessons, but you've got the getting there. Might be most children will walk, but there'll be lifts, there'll be buses, there'll be various other things. There's the uniform. There's the back in my day, most kids would wear trainers to school and then get to school and change to shoes, and they wouldn't wear their blazer. That would come out of the bag when they got there, and all these sorts of things where that's not allowed anymore. And you, I think my daughter's school, they're not unless there's raining, you're not allowed to wear a coat with the blazer. All these random rules, which is really odd. Um, but I think that unstructured time, and especially I think with like food, is a big one. So what are the choices at a primary school where there's a uh, meat, uh, there's a vegetarian, or there's always jacket potato? And you find your child just spent the last two years of their life living on jacket potato and nothing else with butter. Um, you go to secondary school, but it's up to you. What do you mean it's up to me? Well, they have pizza. What pizza hut? Well, no. Well, what type of pizza? What's a sub? What's a sub? And there's this whole world of food and decision making and how that is just well, it won't be it won't be a teacher with you. What? You got to go find your own. What? And it's all these the unstructured times are the probably the more anxious times. Yes, definitely. I think you're absolutely right. And we can't always know and therefore explain to our children what all of those things will be because to some extent it's outside of our own experience we haven't just done year seven at that particular school or reception at that particular school you're literally saying somehow you pay with your fingerprint <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes when you're creating opportunities to talk about these things and those questions come to the fore because you're doing it in advance there is that opportunity to go away and send an email or get some clarifying questions or whatever yeah. which is useful but I think a couple of important things to keep in mind when you're preparing children for transition and to build this into your visuals. The first is whenever there's a big change on the horizon, 
we tend to automatically start talking about what the changes are. But the most important thing is to talk about what will stay the same. So to give that anchoring, to create that safety and security, we actually need to talk about the things that are not changing. So, um, you know, if your child's going to be sleeping in the same bed, eating the same breakfast, um, going in the same car, uh, maybe they're going to have a mate with them that they, you know, have known since they're three. Whatever the things are that are going to stay the same, those are the things we need to talk about first. Because yes. we're showing kids that we haven't thrown your whole life out of the window. <laughs> there are things that are going to be the same that will still provide that safety and security for you. Um, Definitely, yeah. And that includes things that are uh, the same but different. So things like you will still have playtime, you will still have lunchtime, you know, things that are similar. Um, so that's always a good reference point. And the second thing to keep in mind is what is the most important thing to your child? And um, a lot of the work that I do is with very young children. And for them at the point that they're transitioning from nursery school to primary school, one of the most important things for them is knowing who's going to pick them up. And, you know, in the modern age, that might not be the same person every day. It might be depending on working patterns that it's, you know, mum on Monday, dad on Tuesday, after school club on Wednesday. But whatever it is, the child needs to know that at the end of the day, this is the person who's coming to get me. Um, because that, again, provides a really important predictability for them. For somebody else, it might be what's going to be eaten for lunch is the most important thing to them, or when they're going to see their mates that they're particularly friendly with, or where the toilets are. You know, different things are important to different people. But try to hone in on that thing that's the most important thing for your child as a starting point. Definitely. And I think for schools, if... So we talked about over COVID, a lot of schools did video tours. But I think they are the best. But when you do that, a couple of things to think about is you might want to start a video tour from them walking in the school gates, not starting at some random place. Think about they're going to walk in. What's the first thing they're going to see? And which way do they go? And things like that is literally going, when you arrive at the school, this is the year seven area or this is the, and just sort of show that and show things like that. So actually when they're walking along, they're going, this looks familiar. This looks familiar. So try and do things like that. And I mentioned the food thing. If you can have a video of kind of, again, showing a bit of a process of this is the type of food you will have. These are the different options. And you can actually see what it will look like. And you will choose. Uh, but this section, you just say what you want and they serve it up and put it on a plate or whatever. And then you pay using your fingerprint. And then you walk off with your train. You sit at a table and you just find a free one. It's not set or anything. And then what do you do at the end? That, for some children, that's a huge level of anxiety, all of that. Um, so anything like that, which helps them kind of see how it will visually work, is huge. And I think if they're there with their friend and they're going, yes, this is looking familiar, it will just reduce a lot of that anxiety. Yeah, and I think, you know, the more that schools can think about the amount of visual information they're sharing, the better. You know, the standing home of the photos of, you know, the people that they're going to meet. Uh, if you haven't got things like what your serving area looks like in the dining room in video form, take photos of it. Take, you know, a photo example of one of the menus. Um, anything that you can represent visually is going to be helpful. Um, and we don't necessarily want to bombard kids with all of that in one go, but parents having that, you know, via email or via the website or whatever, so they can dip into it when their child is asking questions or when they're ready to talk that through um, is such a hugely helpful resource. And you'll find that you'll build that bank of things up fairly quickly and not need to be doing it. You know, once you've done it, you've done it. <laughs> Occasionally something will be updated, but once you've done it, that information is available and will really make a difference to the children who are starting school with you. Definitely. And if you are making videos introducing people, um, one thing, my daughter's secondary school did some great videos and then some really atrocious videos. The great videos were the person in a quiet room where you could hear them and the video was kind of, I think like the TV thing, so just, like just below your shoulders and their face. So you can really see their facial expressions. You can get, you can look at them and watch how they're talking and they're talking. There's not background noise. You can hear their voice. And that was great. And then they did a couple of TV. I think they're trying to show off uh, some part, but there was a person, the whole of him and some space above him and some space beneath him. 
and it was outside. He didn't have a mic on. It was a mic on the camera, and he was talking. I'm going, but I, I can't even really see what you look like. We even had to put it on the big TV, and I still struggled to see what his face was like. So I still don't know who this person was. And if people are watching it on an iPad or a tablet, then you need to be, you your face needs to be the large part of that screen. You need to fill that screen so when they walk into school, they're going, the man from the video, I know him. Oh, okay, cool. And he sounds quite happy. And he, he said, if I have any problems, I could ask him. It, it's, it's, you've got to see that and feel like that child would recognize people. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's really the case with star photos. So uh, I can definitely say, hands up, I'm absolutely the woman who wants my photo from 15 years ago. But <laughs> that isn't helping the kids to recognize and identify me when they walk through the door. We need photos that are recent, that, you know, where we look as we would on a normal day. So very kind of real down-to-earth photos, not necessarily the one from the, you know, the professional photographer who comes in once a year, but just a picture of you as you would normally be in the classroom. Those are the pictures that the kids are going to identify with. If you have a, if you have one of those, some, you know, lots of girls have lanyards, don't they? If you had a lanyard with pin badges on, you and the lanyard with pin badges on, because that's what they're going to see when they come in. That is that recognition. Yeah, absolutely. People really want. And I think if you're doing videos, keeping those down to earth and allowing children to feel that they're making a natural connection with you. So telling them about the things that you like, some bit of, you know, you don't need to tell them your deepest, darkest secrets, but something that will help the children to connect to you. You know, a favorite TV character or your favorite part of the school day or, you know, something that will just help them to feel that they're getting to know you a little bit. My daughter's secondary school and the videos which worked well, they literally went round like all the teachers they would have. And it's like, here is the PE department's video. I don't know how the secondary school has six PE teachers, but they did. Um, but it was like, I support this football team. I like these are my sports. I've done this. Uh, but what was also nice is they said, they also, some of them gave a little challenges of why don't you see if you can do this? And it was a little, just a little silly thing. And the English were my favorite um, books, or I'm currently reading this. Maths, obviously their favorite two-digit sums, obviously not. Um, <laughs> but certain subjects, you can literally go, um, I'm doing this, or I'm going here. Or not. You just, again, something to make a connection with that child. Because that teacher in primary they will meet you on the first day, the second day, it's the same person, third day, oh, I'm, getting, get, I'm getting better with this, fourth day, fifth day. Yeah, I think I can live with this person. That's not what happens at secondary school. You have a day or two with your tutor while you're sorting everything out, then off you go. Here's 20 teachers. Yeah, and at the same in terms of thinking about the transition from nursery school into primary school, that adult to child ratio is very different. So the amount mm -hmm. that you're expected to do on your own is going to look very different. And so, you know, things will feel hugely different in those two environments. Um, and they'll also be much more formal. Um, so, you know, things are going to look quite different than your your previous experience. So, yeah, I think the, I'm trying to think of all the visual stuff that will help. And I think the younger you are, again, for all children, I think visuals help. And I suppose um, older children there's more language than most typical children. So most children may not need these visuals, but what you might find is this child needs that visual or that visual. Yeah, it's not going to be a simple, that child needs visuals, that child doesn't. Yeah, totally. And I think often when we talk about what, whether a child needs something, we're sort of, I guess, implying, can they cope without it? And there are lots of children who could survive without visuals, but they will feel more confident, they will feel more relaxed, they will feel less nervous if they've had the opportunity to look at those visual resources. Even if they've just popped it in their bag and they know they can refer to it later, they will feel reassured by those visuals. Even if it wasn't the difference between, you know, somebody else might not get through the door without the visual, but even somebody who has a lot of language, who is reasonably self-confident, will still benefit and feel reassured if they have visual resources shared with them that they can refer back to. I think we have to keep in mind that when we experience change or when we're feeling nervous, we process so much less than we normally would. Less goes in. And so having things to refer back to that will act as reminders, that will act as reassurers are much more important than they are at other points in our life. 
definitely. I think even as an adult, so many, many years ago, pre-COVID, when I used to go visit schools, I would often go to Google Maps and look at roughly where the school is on the map and then often go to Street View so I can go, right, that's what I'm looking for. Before I've even got in the car, I know I've got visual roughly what I'm looking for and I'll get there and I'll see it and I'll go, cool, I'm at the school. I'm not going to go, because sometimes some special schools that look very much like a school. Other special schools, so um, there's a... Um, there's a unit attached to a school in our local authority, which is an industrial estate. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't look anything like a school. Yeah, or school, so small you would schools that look it. like houses, you know, look like a residential so, house. Yes. And so it's nice for me to go, hang on. And I literally then I go, hang on. Well, there is a school here because I can see a school. Mark. Where is it? Oh. And there's a school. There's a school up in Scotland I went to where it is in a, like an old cinema. <laughs> How cool. And it's a secondary school. I think the, the front, they have an old 1950s style cafe, milkshakes type thing going on, which some of the students work in. And I remember just walking to here going, um, is this the school? And they went, yeah. As in like I was the strange one walking into a cafe and asking for, is there a school? I'm here to see, oh yeah, yeah, go through there. She's up. It's like, this is so cool, but not what I was expecting. Okay. So even... For us as adults, as you said right at the beginning, we like to know what we're going to. And we do this as adults. And yet we've probably been to hundreds of schools. I've done it thousands of times. Yet I still do it because it just helps me feel calmer. I don't need it. I could cope without it. But that last few minutes of the journey is just simpler when I know what I'm expecting. And I've seen it. Yeah, and I think we also don't realize how often we refer back to something. So to go back to my example of going to a conference, if you look at the conference program for the day, you don't only just read it on the door as you're going in, memorize it, and then know it for the whole of the rest of the day. Even if you know the order of speakers quite well, you will find yourself keeping on referring back to that order of speakers and the time they're going to speak at several points throughout the day to remind yourself to check the timings, that kind of thing. And I think that shows how important repetition is, that it's it's not just you look at something once and then you know it. You keep going back to it for whatever reason to just keep yourself on track. And it's also how we lay out information because if it was lunchtime and you go to that timetable page, I'm probably going to go to the middle of the page now because mm. <laughs> we're halfway through. So there's that visual thing of, okay, we're halfway through the day. I should be about here. Oh, there's the lunchtime stuff. Which, A, you kind of know you're halfway through, they go to the middle, but it also helps you visually see you're halfway through, which tells your head we're halfway through, probably lunchtime. Just all these little things which fire off in your head completely subconsciously. And you go into that last lesson, and you're going, oh, and you just know it's your last lesson. You can go home, you know it's the last talk because half the people in the conference have gone because they want to get home early because of the traffic. You kind of just get these visual clues of the days winding down. Um, and it is generally, it's visual clues, isn't it? It's not, it's not, you don't hear the day getting long later. It's at a conference. They always thought the graveyard, the last person to speak at the graveyard thing because people have left. Uh, often the sun's getting lower. So now the sun's, everyone's got blinking because the sun's come down to the windows and you can't see things or it's got darker because it's in the winter. Um, and all you can hear behind you, they're clearing away the lunch stuff. That's probably the only, but generally it's a visual um, sign that you're seeing things. Um, and definitely visuals give us so much more sense of the world. Yes, and, and how things connect to each other. So, you know, half, yeah. you know that, that sort of relativeness, like you said about lunchtime being halfway through the day and so on, making those connections between things becomes easier when it's visual. Um, I think that what you were saying at the beginning about that predictability and how important that is and how much we, um, you know, uncertainty impacts on us. I think when we're thinking about preparing our children for transition, even if we're, you know, at the beginning of the academic year and we're thinking about the transition that's going to happen at the end of the year to go to a new school or something like that, it's keeping in mind that children become more confident and more um, ready to, to accept change and to step into new things when they've had some practice. 
I mean, they've had practice of trying new things and going through processes of change. And the pandemic's really interrupted that for our kids in a couple of ways. Firstly, there's just the stress of that everything went out of the window and was completely unpredictable for a while. So how much I can trust the predictability of what's happening might be affected. But also, although they dealt with that big change, they haven't dealt with the usual changes in the normal way. So the practicing of um, the usual transitions that happen in schools hasn't always gone over the last couple of years as it normally would. Now, hopefully, we're back into what would usually happen, um, but we mustn't forget that the children missed a couple of opportunities to practice. So they may need a little bit more support than they might have done if they were year six leavers three years ago. You know, that they, they're just going to need a little bit more preparation and a little more, bit more help to be ready for that change because they've had less practice in this particular, you know, education model. I also think, as you think about it, if you've missed out on things, there's it's lots of little bits you missed out on. So as you get older, you generally do different activities as you get older, and they might have been missed out. So you're trying new things as you get older, which they might not have had. And when I think of soft play, we all love the soft play when you're young. And you might have one near you, and you, a child might get an idea of soft play is this building. Then you go somewhere else, you go to soft play, and you're going, okay. And you get there and go, this isn't soft play. It's not got the same slides. And you sort of kind of realize that soft play is a, it's not a specific thing. It is a indoor place with slides and soft things. So it's the same, but different. And just having the same different variations of the same thing, again, helps you understand that, well, some are good, some are bad, but I generally have fun at these places. Whereas it, which kind of in some ways is we go into a different school. It's still a school. But it's different and the same. So I think we've I think kids have also lost out on those sorts of experiences of trying the same thing different ways or different places. Um, going bowling here, doing bowling on holiday, but it's a different, this is an old old fashioned. The concept's the same, there's a few things different, but it's still roughly the same. Yeah, and I was still okay. You know, I did it here yeah. and I did it there, and I was okay. Yes. So my expectations were thrown, but I recognized it. Although my favorite slide wasn't there, I found a new slide, which was different, which I tried. And I was, oh, and it is, yeah. So it's your understanding of what a phrase means. Soft play might have meant, so around here, it might mean Jake's is the big one around here. And when you go soft play, you go to Jake's. And that has a certain setup and everyone knows it. And you can talk about the slide at Jake's. And everyone knows exactly what that slide looks like. But you go somewhere else or you, you go to your cousins, it's a different soft play. And you now mean, know that soft play doesn't mean a specific building. It means multiple locations around the world. And I think that generalization skills children could have missed out on. Yes. And I think that's something to be really mindful of. If you know as a parent or as a teacher that you've got a group of children coming up to transition, to start to almost overtly make those connections for them, to give yeah. them examples of this is similar but different. Um, and talking that through and then applying that to the school situation, I think is really helpful. And in exactly the same vein as children may have had less opportunities to generalize, we will also see that children have had less opportunities to build those small steps of independence. So let's say you're transitioning to secondary school and you're now going to be walking to school or getting on a bus when previously your parent dropped you off at primary school. I know that won't be the case for everyone, but you get the example. But they maybe haven't practiced doing things like walking to their friend's house three doors down or going on the bus to town, particularly if they've been isolating or parents have been really cautious. They might not have been going on public transport. So some practicing of that would be helpful. It might not be the school bus, but be mindful of, actually, we should take a few trips on public transport to get used to what happens when you get on the bus. I've got to show my bus pass. I've got to find somewhere to sit. I've got to watch out for my stop. You know, all of those sorts of things actually need practicing. My daughter, my eldest is going to college in September. So we're recording this in April. We're going to release it in September. So my daughter right now, as you listen to this podcast, is started at a new college, which is great. Um, But at the Easter holidays is, she gets a bit worried about things, not hugely, but she walks to school currently. It's 15, 20 minutes. She's chosen to go to a completely different college. Um, And she's going to get a bus or a train. Um, and the train, I think, is quicker. And also found out there's a walk, but we found out the train is subsidised. So it's like we're going to go for the train. But we've done a train to London, 
we've, yeah, we've gone down to the local station. We've got a train to London. We've done a few like that. But generally, she follows us. And I'm like, actually, you've got to do this on your own. Um, and she gets a bit worried. Again, bit germs, COVID sort of thing, t- touching public thing. So she's just a bit worried. I'm like, I, we should do a run. We should go down. We should get a train there. Then I sort of went, no, I shouldn't. She should. So um, over Easter, she went with a friend. And it's only two stops on a train. But we live in an area where on that train line, it's a train an hour. So if you miss it, it's not great. Um, so she got the app. And I t- again, I showed her a couple of things. And I think a week or so earlier, we were going to London. I showed her the train ticket machine. You go, look, this is what you've got to do. And then off she went. And I tried to give her as many different skills and kind of showing her this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to see. Um, I think we drove past the station so she could see where she's come out. And I pointed down the roads. So when she did it, she had Google Maps and so she could had walking directions. She had the app which gave her train times. I don't think it was as nervous. It basically she always worried, but it I think she found it much easier because she knew so much of it. She hadn't walked it, but she had all the bits along the way and she was just joining it all together. Yeah, and that's so important to go through each stage of the process, make sure she understands it and that she's feeling confident with it. Totally. And also having that trial run not have the pressure attached to it of it's the first day, I've got to be on time, you know. Uh, if it goes wrong on the trial run, it's okay because you've probably got a backup plan in place. Um, you'll have a backup plan on when she has to do it for real yeah. too. But it takes the pressure off for her a little bit that she knows this is a trial run and it's okay if it goes wrong. Yeah. And I think secondary is, secondary is that really big transition because nursery, very much child-led. Primary school, sorry, parent-led, not child-led. Children don't go to nursery on their own. Parents take them and drop them off and collect them. Um, and this primary school is very much at the beginning. It's very much parents dropping off and collecting. Gets towards the end, and it, it's depending on where the school is and things like that. There is some more independence. But secondary school is you're on your own. Off you go. And in most situations, they're walking or busing or training, but you're off. Go. So even if you walk the route with your child, they might not be paying attention because they're with mum or dad, who's just, yeah, I'll just follow mum and dad. They know where they're going. Cool, you happy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, walk back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not really paying attention. You kind of want to sit there and go, right, do you want to walk to school? No, right. Well, I'll drop you at school. I'll see you when you get home. And you want them to kind of take that journey on their own. Definitely. You're making me laugh because um, my husband is so reliant on sat-nav that I don't think he can drive to the next town without it just because he's so used to having it that he's not really paying attention to the landmarks and the things along the way because he knows he's got that as a backup. And I think it's true if you're always doing something with your child that they're not paying as much attention because essentially you're in the in the driving seat, not necessarily literally, but you know, you're in the driving seat. So they don't need to take that information in. And I, I've realized that I'm I'm just someone who always pays attention. So I did something at the weekend and we're talking about he goes, I literally I couldn't do this without you. I said, I'm I could probably drive this route again without any directions because it's just in my head now. Um and I think a lot of people just, they just don't pay attention. If someone's leading them, they, they're not paying attention. They're, you've got this, I don't have to worry about this, which is the whole thing. We're trying to help them to be not worrying. But there are certain times you want them to pay attention so they can do it on their own. And doing that, walking that path with them won't, isn't necessarily helping them do it on their own. Yeah. I mean, we if don't want to take just... a, a, their brother or sister, <laughs> um, or you would sit there and go, tell you what, you walk from here. Go down to the end of the road. I'll walk from home and I'll meet you halfway. Just something like that. So they know, actually, I've just got to walk down there. I don't have to cross. You're, you're doing the small steps again, but you are putting them on their own when appropriate. <laughs> but it is it's kind of sitting there going, right, you, you kind of, you've got to do this. Um, my daughter's in year nine, my youngest, and we're still saying PE kit and having to learn her timetable point. She can't remember. PE kits it's like really but you kind of got to help them try and do it on their own you've got to but you always have to have that plan b you've always got to have that backup plan and things like um on iphone if you have iphones you can find my iphone or there's like life 360 and various others so you can find out where they are and there's things you can do with that which makes it safe and things like that. so 
it's it's you kind of got to put them out on their own because secondary school is that, but not be a million miles away, but be out of sight. <laughs> But as you said, that's very much a stage process. And it's by supporting children through those little steps and, you know, wherever we can, aligning that with some visuals that support those little steps. That's what gets our children to independence. But if we don't take the little steps, then we don't get to that end point. No. And if you if you literally, if if you're listening to this and going, my child's going to start secondary school at the end of this school year, if there is a corner shop down your road, send your kid to get milk. Send your kid to they want to buy a, go to go to the shop and get yourself a bar of chocolate. Yeah, give them the motivation to walk there on their own. If you walk there, you can spend this money. You can eat chocolate on the way back. Yeah, you're now motivating them to go out and do it on their own. Then you can do the milk, and then you can just push that further. And then you're just saying, well, you're now just going to walk to school. It's not the shop. It's just it's as you said, those small steps. And it might get motivation at the beginning, and chocolate is always motivation for all of us, isn't it? <laughs> But it is, it's, it's how can you motivate that child? How can you get them to go somewhere? And some of that is you as a parent letting go, which is always quite challenging, especially the eldest. Um, but it is, I think, um, one of the things, I don't know if we, I think it was my wife did this. I'm not going to take any credit for this. But um, when we chose the primary school, we it was not where the nursery was, so it was a completely new school for us. We went to the summer fate the year before. So we got to walk around and see what all the kids were like. It was outside, so we saw the playground. And it just gave her a go, yeah, this is really fun here. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be like this every day. But it just gave her, she saw she was able to walk around the school. Because when often when you go to primary school, the parents go, don't they? You visit a primary school, it's the parents on their own going, yes, my child will like it here. I'm not bringing it with her. She can decide. I'll decide for her. And so that was the first time she really got to look around the school. They did, they did an, um, I think not long after that, they did a, a uh, uh, open morning where they went in. But that, that school fair and they went and did face painting, all those stuff gave her a chance to see that this is really fun. Lots of other kids are here. I might have even recognized some from my nursery who left last year who I might not have seen since. So it just gave her lots of reasons to go to this school and also it's built all the time it's building that connection that connection of what the place looks like the, that it might be fun that there's some things there that she likes all of those things are building the connection i was just thinking that some of our listeners their children are going to be going to specialist settings where maybe they are traveling to school by taxi and i think yeah. that lots of parents worry about that for all sorts of reasons uh, including you know a yep. new person it's outside of your control but also that their child may not have had an experience of being in a taxi. And again, I would encourage you to practice that. I know it might not be the same driver and the car might not look exactly the same, but having a couple of short journeys in a taxi to just see what that looks like, you know, just, you know, getting that concept of what a taxi is, that there's a driver, that you're going to sit in the back, you know, all of those sorts of things are going to be helpful for preparing your child. It might be a case of you do a couple of taxi rides with you and your child, and then you kind of, talk to them going right can you take them around the block or something you literally go right i'll drive home taxi meet you there or dad's at home type thing get in a taxi and then but it's that often with these things it's it's i think with all of this it's that conversation afterwards how was it how did that feel um what was good what was bad um anything like that just to help them maybe try and reflect. Because that's the thing is we can often reflect on how good a conference was because we've got lots of experiences of going to 100 conferences and go, well, this was a really good one. Why is that? The lunch was amazing because that is what matters at conferences, the lunches. And we've taken me 100 conferences to realize how important the lunch is. But it's your first taxi ride. How was your taxi ride? I don't know. So when you ask questions, it helps them think about things. Did, did Were you being bounced around or was it quite smooth or things like that? It just gives them things to think about and look at. And so when you ask them how things are, it's, it's all those sorts of skills. But yeah, it must be quite hard when you're used to dropping your child off at school or you're, you walk to school to so actually my child's going to go sit in a taxi for half an hour. 
And one of the things or on a minibus. Yeah, or, one of the things that's important is thinking about what transitional objects will the child want in the taxi to help them to make that feel comfortable. For you know, for very young children. So I've worked with four-year-olds who've needed to go by taxi to school. You know, they're probably wow. going to want a cuddly toy with them. They're going to want something to do. For older children, they might want something like an iPad to play a game on, or you know, something that's going to keep them busy, but also distract them and you know make that journey go quicker. But having those conversations about what would I like to have with me in the taxi is also an important thing. So if is, is what would you like and what are you allowed? Oh, totally, totally. Because <laughs> I can imagine on minibuses, everyone with an iPad or things like that, and whose iPad and who's responsible if it gets thrown across the minibus. All those things come into so you might want your iPad, but how can we deal with that? How can we bring it down to something which you can do? Um, yeah, I'm somebody who loves I love music or watching things. When I'm on a train or a plane, I'm watching or listening, or and it just helps the time go. So that would be my first call if I was going to sit on a mini bus for a time. But the problem is, it depends on the other children, allowers, and things like that. Um, I'm a reader, so a book would always be my first choice, but um, I appreciate that doesn't work for everybody in a moving vehicle. But um, I would oh, always see, be one to quite, go for a book. I quite like quiet when I read. So being on a train or a, I can't do a train's not too bad, but I just, I just like being still. I, yeah. Well, every, yeah. Everyone's got their thing. Everyone's got their thing. But it is, what is it your child um, will help them? But then also the question is, so I can take my teddy in the taxi, yes. What happens to my teddy when I'm at school? Where does it go? Do I leave it in the taxi? There's all these which you would just go, oh, no, you just take it with you, don't you? Or no, this is your first taxi ride and your first and it, it's it kind all of all these on things. The arrangements with the school as well. So some schools, yeah. you know, if lots of children are coming by taxi, there'll be a whole system for that. You know, this is the little cubby that you put your things in that you've had in the taxi, and then you pick them up again at the end of the day or whatever. You know, but it's finding out those little systems in the school that you're going to and then supporting your child to understand what they need to do. But somehow you as a parent who've never done this yourself would have to somehow, you somehow have to guess everything that's going to go through and assume that they're worried about it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just kind of go, so you could do that, okay. And then when you get, you kind of just got to preempt those questions. They don't know what to ask. They're sort of going, I mean, they're going, right, so I have my school all day. No, no. Oh, oh, what happened? And it just, they don't know what they don't know. We never know what, you don't, no one knows what they don't know. But you generally most adults are in a better situation to know more than the child will and be able to fill in those blanks without even asking. But sometimes you will have to ask the school and find out that additional information. Yeah. And part of, and share it. Part of what we're equipping the children for is knowing that there are safe people I can talk to. I've seen pictures of the teacher. I've seen pictures of the lady in the front office. These are people I can go to for help. So knowing that there are people there to help you if you don't know and practicing that how you ask for help, you know, that is hugely important because we can't predict and know everything. But if we know that we've done as much of that as we can and we know who to go to to ask for help, that within itself is reassuring. Definitely. And it is all, um, all of this is just to make everyone's life easier. And, um, there's a couple of sayings, uh, fail to prepare, prepare to fail <laughs> is a very big one, which I've come across. And I always remember, uh, super nanny. It was, if you try and go shopping and just try and get around that supermarket with a young child with no preparation, it would go downhill and you're just trying to get through and they're kicking off and they're bored. They don't know why they're here. You're just trying to get through. You don't want to talk to them because you're trying to get shopping done. It's going to go badly. Whereas if you either write a shopping list with them beforehand or you write a shopping list and you give it them to hold and even they write it and they can read it, they kind of know what they wrote. Even it says, well, that's nothing, but somehow they know that says cucumber. You do this, it might take you ever so slightly longer to do it. But everyone's happy. Everyone's calmer. Um which generally, if it's taking you two minutes longer, five minutes longer, surely the fact you're not you're not going to have to sit down at home and sit down for five, ten minutes going, God, I'm not doing that again, and your child has enjoyed the trip, that's got to win. If we think about that whole thing around school, if you just kick your child to secondary school, they're going to have that tantrum. Yeah. 
if you can kind of do all these steps along the way, they are going to walk into that secondary school so much more confident and happy. Yeah, and therefore be in a much better place to learn. You know, if they if yes. they are feeling emotionally um, calmer or reassured or whatever the quite the right word is, but if they are feeling that way, if they are more open to that new experience, more open to learning, more open to meeting new people and making friends than they are if they're feeling overwhelmed or anxious or worked up. And if they're calmer and then something does happen, they're more likely to go and ask someone when this is the 55th thing that's happened. I can't cope with this. It's a big difference. And it is fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Totally. It is. It goes in everything in life. Um, and that's you as an adult going, right, what am I doing next week? We generally also go, right, what's happening this weekend? You do that, don't you? Children don't know what's happening this weekend. They'll find out as they're about to leave the house, where are we going? Um, they just don't know. You always sit there going, we need to put your shoes on. What shoes? No, don't, not those ones. Well, why? Where are we going? They don't really know. They're not paying that much attention. You do have to do it all for them. And it's probably more than people realize, but the more you do it and the more then prompting you can do is you start doing everything for them and you just slowly, you scaffold in the support and you pull that back. And you can sit there and going, right, we're going here tomorrow. And magically, they know the right clothes to wear for soft play. <laughs> but, they kind of, ah, yeah, soft but play. But that working towards independence is totally supported by the visuals that we've been talking about. Because one of the Very steps much. is when your child is asking you yet again what's happening tomorrow, is that redirecting them to go and have a look at the weekly planner? See if you can yes. work out what we're doing tomorrow. And that, you know, that is building towards a bit more self-reliance. Yes. And one thing you could do, especially if your children are at secondary school already and they do have a mobile device, is why not make use of that calendar on their phone? Invite them to events. Get an email address set up. Invite them to events. They can look at their phone. They know what's happening this weekend. Oh, it's my birthday party. I could just imagine a 15-year-old decline, 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 decline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there needs to be an option in, in, in things saying they have no option to decline. <laughs> But again, there's lots of little things which can help. And I, I also find that um, I like the fact my people saw phones as dangerous. It's all danger, danger. Now, oh, phones are quite good, aren't they? Tech is quite good. It's helped us quite a bit over the last year. So my daughters, um, we have a family messaging thing, and we can literally message each other throughout the day. So they'll, so she will, they'll message between lessons of just, this has just happened, or I forgot this, or I need this. Can we do this tonight? I've just realized I've got, and it's, and it's a nice, they're not so totally separated at school. It's like we're there in them in their pocket. Yeah. Well, that's not a visual thing. The fact that secondary schools, they can have their phone. They don't use it during the school day, but everyone just gets it out. They can message you and be there. It's not talking about phoning, not video timing. But a little message, you okay? Yeah. How was maths? Type thing. It just gives you them gives them that connection. Definitely. Cool. We covered lots. Um, I know we focused, for me, I focus a lot on the secondary and also I mentioned college, but I think that is the biggest transition. I think it's the one which places a lot more on the children. I think younger kind of when they're, when they're little and they say no, you can still pick them up and put them in the nursery. <laughs> you can't do that when they're in year seven, generally a bit bigger and heavier, but it is, I think when they're younger, you kind of, it's easier to push them into things. Yes. And often the education setting will be better at predicting, you know, and putting things in place. Whereas that transition to secondary school there are sometimes some assumptions about what children are, you know, how well equipped they are, how ready they are. And if for any reason your child is needing additional support, you may find that you're having to help to, to bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah. And it's sometimes, uh, um, yeah, you, you're often, primary school, you can always have that conversation at the school gate with a teacher. That doesn't happen at second. There is a complete disconnect and you're reliant. And you might literally, so year seven, they often have a, uh, not long in parents' evening, so so you can go. Is it if it's all right? Is it going fine? But after that, it's now I might not know anything from school for three months unless something goes spectacularly wrong. Um, so it is that whole. It relies on the child to write things down, to 
put the recipe in the book, to write that homework down, to get the diary signed. There's a lot of emphasis on the child. Um, whereas generally everything else, it's still the parent leads. Everything goes back to the parent. Um, and it's that, they might be that size. That child going to secondary school might be that same size as everyone else. They might look like they can cope with it all, but they might not. And all the stuff we can do to help prepare them um, and reduce the bits we know that's going to happen to reduce that anxiety where we can. Um, and the bits that we either we've forgotten or we don't know or are specific to that school, we can't do anything about. Hopefully we've then got all more capacity to help work on those areas. So, so thank you for coming to the show today, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you give me a couple of links. One is to widget online and one is to board maker seven. So again, I believe that's making those visual resources like timetables and things like that. Um, they'll be in the show notes along with Sarah's contact details and you'll find the show notes on our website. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find links to subscribe across all the different podcast platforms on our website, which is www.thesendcast.com. And please um, follow us on your social medias. On Twitter, we're at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. Um, and please share um, this podcast with as many people as possible. Um, and as always, I'm going to remind you how amazing B Squared is. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Training for Education. Um, you'll find a number of guests, our speakers at our virtual SEND conferences, or recorded their own training courses. And it's a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable and also fits in with everyone's lives. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And lastly, don't forget our assessment products. This is what we're known for. This is what has made us. That is helping schools to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. So if you are struggling to show progress for a child in your school with your current system, have a look at us. We cover a huge range from early years to post-16 and preparing for adulthood. Visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information. And you can book a free online meeting to find out more information about our products. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye, everyone. Bye.